This is Professor Allen, and welcome to the Quarterbin. In every episode of this podcast, I will summarize, criticize, discuss, and review a single issue from my comic book collection, which I will select sort of at random. Any book from my comic book collection is eligible, as long as I paid no more than 25 cents for it. Was the issue worth 25 cents? Was it a bargain at 25 cents? Or was it still overpriced? Stay tuned and find out. For this 45th episode of the Quarterbin Podcast, I'm looking at Thor number 364 from Marvel Comics, cover dated February 1986. But first, a little feedback. I try to take each issue, each episode as a one-off, and not revisit the effects of a story or what happened next, that sort of thing. But the events of the issue from last episode, New Avengers 26, the confluence of events, has to be addressed here. Jason Trenner was, of course, the first to mention it, but he was certainly not the only one. Because as it turns out, in the great comic tradition of the retcon, or maybe just the long game, or the late reveal, whatever, it turns out that the woman featured in New Avengers 26, whom Hawkeye spent some um, quality time with of an adult nature, whom I expressed a long-standing crush on, was not in fact Wanda Maximoff. But that woman actually turned out to be a doombot. Here's the thing. For some people, that would be a total turnoff. So I wanted to talk with someone who has some expertise in this area. So I called in a special guest who has recently been named to the post of Relatively Geeky's Chief Deputy Associate Correspondent for Thinking About Chicks. From the Fire and Water podcast and FirestormFan.com, here is Shag. The Irredeemable Shag. Sorry, of course, the Irredeemable Shag. So, in general, before this issue, what would you say your feelings were about Wanda? She's hot. And then, after reading this issue? She's hot. And then, after finding out that this was actually a Doombot? She is hot. Because I think that some people may be creeped out by that concept, having, you know, feelings for a machine. What? She is hot. Uh, Of course, the machine in question was created by the so-called supervillain Dr. Doom. So, does that change your opinion? you got to be kidding me. She is totally hot. Good, because, you know, that would be kind of racist. So, anyway, I really appreciate you joining me for this. Any closing thoughts on the topic? She is smoking hot. Well, okay then. Hey, really great of you to join me, Shag. The Irredeemable Shag. Sorry. The Irredeemable Shag. Thanks again. Now, let's move on to our issue for this episode. Thor 364 had a cover price of 75 cents, meaning I acquired this book at a reasonable two-thirds markdown. The cover, by Walt Simonson, promises possibly the most unusual Thor story ever published. And since it features Thor transforming into a frog... That may very well be true. That's right. This is the first issue of the infamous 
Frog Thor Arc. The story, titled Thor Croaks, was written and drawn by Walt Simonson. The story starts in Asgard, home of the mighty Norse gods. Odin has vanished and his wife Frigga has called for a meeting to occur in two weeks' time. At that time, a new ruler of the Golden Realm will be chosen. Thor is also missing from Asgard, after some dramatic events in the last few issues. But with a mighty Varum, he appears! Well, actually it's not Thor, it's just someone dressed like him, just with a horse head. Yes, it's Beta Ray Bill, and in my mind, that's almost as good as Thor. I am a big fan of Bill. There is some confusion about why Thor is not with Bill, and everyone is concerned that the Thunder God has not arrived yet. Nothing short of death could have prevented Thor from returning here with all deliberate speed. But even as his friends ponder the fate of the missing God of Thunder, we turn to look at the realm of mortals where we find that Thor is indeed still in New York City. Although perhaps anyone might be forgiven if they fail to recognize him at first glance, for he is vastly changed. Ribbit, ribbit, Thor says. Fortunately, the editor of this book has chosen to translate the animal dialogue from the vernacular into English for the benefit of those for whom the language of beasts is a closed book. Thor assumes that Loki has caused this transformation, but the first thing he needs to do is get help. An Avengers mansion is just the place to get it. Frog Thor manages to evade the mansion's defenses, and pretty ingeniously figures out how to write a message in sugar on the countertop. But before Franklin Richards can make sense of the message, Jarvis sweeps up the spilled sugar, and then he sweeps Frog Thor right out the front door of the mansion. In his small size, Frog Thor does not have complete control of his actions that he is used to. By the handle of my enchanted hammer, I've jumped right into the middle of traffic. He manages to frogger himself into the park and is attacked by a rat, a dirty, stinking rat. But Thor is still a warrior born, so when a rat attacks him, he easily fights him off with his powerful frog legs. Have at you, vermin! Thor befriends another frog, Puddleglump, who tells Thor about the epic frog versus rat war going on all across Central Park. Meanwhile, back in Asgard, Hildi and the children see Surtur's sword in the wilderness, but then it disappears before their eyes. They tell Uncle Heimdall, and he is rightly worried by this weirdness. He tells the children to find the warriors three, leaving himself to his thoughts. Thor missing. Balder gone where even my sharp eyes cannot find him. Something tells me that Loki has only begun his plan of campaign. Back in New York, the little frog leads Thor to meet the king, King Glugwart. Thor and Puddleglump arrive just in time to drive off Ratso and some of his ratty comrades who are fighting with the frog king's bodyguard, Gullywump. Yeah, I can't believe I just said that sentence either. Because comics. But they are not in time to save the king. And on his deathbed, he gives Thor an assignment. Thor, my kingdom, my daughter, take whatever you want, but save our people. Princess Greensong is distraught at the news of her father's death. And she and the other frogs convince Thor to help them against the rats. 
frogs of this reservoir, heed my words. I am a stranger here among you. Lives are precious to me, no matter how humble they may be. And if I can, I will save the lives of those who have shown me sanctuary. The frogs tell Thor of their great enemies, the dragons. One troublemaking frog, Bug-Eye, kind of reminds Thor of a certain mischievous stepbrother of his. By themselves, he thinks, everything depends on finding reinforcements, and puddle-glump stories about dragons remind me of certain rumors that have reached the Avengers from time to time. Thor has devised himself a plan. Back in Asgard, at the All-Thing, the Grand Thane calls for the sons of Odin to step forward. Loki is there promptly. My friends, Loki claims the right as Odin's stepson to stand before you now. Can there be any doubt as to who would serve Asgard in her hour of need as the new lawgiver of the All-Thing? People call out for Thor to arrive, but Thor does not appear. Where do you suppose? Could he be? Laughing to himself about Thor's absence, Loki is shocked when the Thunder God steps forward as well. But let us turn from this astonishing appearance in the fabled realm of Asgard and peer far beneath the surface of Central Park. The opening in the gatehouse has led me to a series of interconnected tunnels that angle deeper into the dark. That light ahead of me, though, is growing stronger. My destination may be just around that corner. As I suspected, they're not dragons lurking in the sewers. This is New York City. Those are alligators in the sewers. But is that some man I see seated before the great beast playing a tune? It is, in fact, a bearded man in a jaunty orange flat hat playing a flute. Have you ever seen a picture of George R. R. Martin? This guy may be a little bit slimmer, but that's pretty much the visual you should have in mind here. He sees Thor, a frog, towing a bunch of rats behind him. Thor tries to withdraw to assess the situation, but... Come back, little friend. I want to know what sort of frog hauls rats through the tunnels. The Piper has just the tune for you. And Thor finds that he cannot control his limbs. And in a dramatic final panel, we have a frog leaping right into... The music has taken control of my very body, and I'm leaping into the light, straight into the jaws of an alligator. This is the Old Father Odin, and you should be listening to Radio Free Asgard. No, no, that's just not going to work. Let's try this again. This is the evil Loki, and if you hate Thor as much as I do, you should be... All right, let's just try one more thing. Jane Foster here, and you should be... Ah, risen. All right, let's just keep this simple. Hello, everybody. My name is Tom Harris, and I do a podcast called Radio Free Asgard, which airs every Thursday over at RadioFreeAsgard.com. We cover the adventures of Thor, Hercules, and more from ancient times all the way up into the present day. We read old comics and make fun of them. I do ridiculous voices and generally make an ass of myself. So if that sounds fun to you, you should come join us, the only Thor podcast hosted by a true descendant of Odin, over at RadioFreeAsgard.com. And we'll see you there. Pardon the interruption. I have some news which I believe you will find most interesting. Would you like to hear the latest in Marvel television, film, video games, and comic books? 
or you're looking for some ideas on what to pick up on New Comic Book Day? Well, join Mike and Eric on Mighty Marvel Geeks every Saturday night on Sorcerer Radio and every Sunday on the Weeby Geeks Network for all things Marvel. There is a matter that requires your attention. Mighty Marvel Geeks. Assemble. All wrapped up here, sir. Will there be anything else? And we're back. A few weeks from now, as of the original release of this episode, I will be on episode 66 of Blaine Dowler's Countdown Podcast, the unofficial 75 Greatest Marvels. With a bevy of talented co-hosts, and sometimes me, Blaine is spending about a year and a half counting down Marvel's top 75 stories, as voted on last year by readers. In that forthcoming episode... I talked to Blaine about Thor 362, two issues before this one. And I liked that issue. It was the end of a both a three-issue mini-arc, as well as a longer story, and it's good. Like I said, at this stage, Simonson has been on Thor for a couple of years and is totally hitting his stride. And so, you know, as much as I liked 362, and it may certainly have deserved to be on that list of all-time great Marvel stories... I think I may well have liked 364, this issue, just a little bit more. And I have to say that these two storylines are remarkably different in tone. Without spoiling that upcoming episode, 362 is intense and dramatic and emotional. And just two issues later, he gives us this nutty and wacky story. I respect audacity in storytelling, or or ambition. And this is both audacious and ambitious. Simonson, like I said, is about two years into his run, and you just feel the sense of confidence that he has, the sense of total control he has. In a strict technical sense, as both a writer and artist, he does have a lot of control over the story, so this is his creative vision, as as run through an editor's eyes, of course. But this is Walt Simonson's view of Thor, and as I said, it is bold, it is audacious. Thor is a notoriously hard character, to get a hold on is evidenced by the fact of how many Marvel writers have handled him in numerous different ways that, that mythos has changed over its, its, over its run. You have the Asgard stuff, the Norse stuff to focus on. You have the Earth stuff, too. You have the Donald Blake and Jane Foster baggage to deal with. It's a tough nut to crack, but Simonson really figured out how to do it. His run is such a mix of the cosmic, the earthbound, the wacky and the wild, the intense, and the dramatic. And it's well written. The prose in this issue is terrific. I included as much of it as I could in the story synopsis. And I know what I'm about to say is terribly snobbish. And I apologize for that in advance. But the prose here is so good that I think Simonson could have written some excellent novels. And from what I can tell, he did not pursue that form of writing. Maybe he thought of himself as primarily an artist and didn't want to try a crack at 80,000 words of prose. I I don't know. But to me, at least in this run, he ranks up there with some of the greats, Jack Kirby or Mike Grell, in terms of being that double threat of writer and artist. And this one does what the start of an arc is supposed to do. The the Frog storyline runs two more issues. But we get great cliffhangers on separate storylines. Two, maybe three, depending how you count. One, who is it that just appeared in Asgard, in Thor's clothes? 
We only see him from the back, so we don't know exactly who that is. He's facing Loki, so I doubt it's Beta Ray Bill, because Loki says, it's Thor. But Bill is in the episode earlier, in garb very similar to Thor's. But I just don't know that he could pass for Thor on close inspection. Maybe there's some mysticism going on here as well. Two, Thor jumping into the mouth of an alligator. As far as potential death traps go, that's a pretty death trappy one. And three, which I guess is related to two, but I think of it as a, as a separate question, just how powerful is the Piper? Will this be a, a, a petty menace that Thor dispatches on page two of the next issue? Or will this aspect of the story continue as well? I don't know. And that's what makes it a great question. You know, it makes for that type of anticipation that serialized monthly storytelling is designed for. And even though Emily and I spent nearly two hours defending Identity Crisis on an episode of Shortbox Showcase, and I'm a big fan of Watchmen, and dark and gritty can work for me. But you know what else works for me? Fun works for me. And this story, this concept, this idea is silly and campy and ridiculous and fun. The quote-unquote editor's note that announced that we were translating all animal dialogue into English for the sake of the reader set the tone brilliantly for this issue. And the mix of the oversized frog. Did I mention that Thor as a frog is about twice the size of any of the other frogs? It's a great visual, and it's consistently pulled off. But the mix of an oversized frog thinking and speaking in old-timey Shakespearean dialogue and overly serious thought bubbles... It works perfectly. And of course, with a story this wackadoodle, the story has to be a bit gimmicky. The issue is made up by the predictable efforts of Frog Thor to get his friends to realize it's him. We've seen that a million times before in, you know, body-switching type of, of movies or stories. But it is just goofy, goofy fun. And other than a standard, your mileage may vary, and this might not be your sort of thing warning, It's just hard to criticize it too much. But let's get back to the cover copy that I mentioned earlier. Does this issue live up to the promise that this is possibly the most unusual Thor story ever published? Well, that's kind of a tricky standard if you think about it. Unusual. For example, I love Roy Thomas's take on the Siegfried myth that ran from about 293 up to 300. That was unusual stuff. The introduction of Beta Ray Bill earlier in Simonson's run. That was unusual. A lot of the Asgard stuff would qualify as unusual, as a matter of fact. But the God of Thunder turning into a battling frog? Yes, that's pretty unusual. So, given the nature of cover copy in general, what its role is, what its function is, I'm going to say that yes, this cover is a pretty accurate description of the contents. This is an unusual story. But I don't get the sense that it's unusual just for the sake of being unusual. It's unusual, but within that is a pretty exciting story, both here on Earth for Frog Thor, but also the drama in Asgard adds a nice amount of tension. And I'm not the only one who digs this story. Of course, people remember it for its goofiness and, and high camp factor, but when Comics Alliance listed its top 10 awesome moments from Simonson's run on Thor turning into a frog was number five on the list. So there is something resonant about this story beyond just the wacky premise. The execution of the wacky premise is pretty great as well. 
In the interest of full disclosure, I will mention that Tom Harris covered this issue on episode 60 of Radio Free Asgard. Now, the other issues in this arc, the next two issues, are not in the Quarter of Bin database, so there are no plans on finishing them up here. But if you really need to know how this epic storyline ended, Tom covered the last two issues in episode 61. Also, our friends at Back to the Bins on the Two True Freaks Network covered just that last issue of this arc over on Back to the Bins 130. The Verdict on Thor 364. I had never read the Frog Thor stories before and was totally excited when I found this one in the quarter bin. It was one of the easier buying decisions I've made and definitely worth it. This is exciting. It's crazy. It's unusual. But it's charming and funny. And that totally works for me. This one is definitely a quarter bin steal. That wraps up my coverage of Thor 364 bringing episode 45 of the Quarterbin podcast to a close. In episode 46, we're heading back to the mystical side of the Marvel Universe, as we'll be looking at Doctor Strange Sorcerer Supreme number 34 from Marvel Comics, cover dated October 1991. If you have any questions or comments about this issue or the podcast, feel free to contact me. Until next episode, I'm Professor Allen, and I'll see you in the quarter bin. The Quarter Bin Podcast is part of the Relatively Geeky family of podcasts. Show notes and links are available at relativelygeekypodcast.blogspot.com, where the podcasts Uncovering the Bronze Age and Shortbox Showcase also make their home. Links to Facebook and Twitter are there as well. Feedback for the show is welcome at relativelygeeky at gmail.com. And if you like what we've got going here, please leave a review and a rating in iTunes. It'll help more people discover the show. Thanks again for listening. Professor! Professor! 